Welcome to the Peak Pod, the podcast about all things venture, tech, and startups. We talk to founders, industry experts, and others to give you, the listener, inside access to the startup ecosystem. Find us on your favorite podcast platform, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Peak Pod. I'm Bob Baker of Peak Corporate Council, and I'm joined, as always, by Matt Shrimpton. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Bob. And today, we are very excited to introduce a guest, uh, Caitlin Bruma from the Mass Challenge. Uh, she is the Senior Vice President of Mass Challenge Early Stage. And today, we're going to take a deep dive into all things startup-related and what Mass Challenge is and what it does. And uh, just a very big welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here and for this conversation. So uh, first off, can you tell me about uh, your role at Mouse Challenge? You've been there for a little while now, and what is it you help them do? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I'll start off with uh, Mouse Challenge. We're a global nonprofit dedicated to supporting innovation and entrepreneurship through collaboration and, and development. Uh, we think about ourselves as the global network for innovators. We're proud to work uh, in seven locations around the world and support entrepreneurs from you know, over 60 countries a year, in large part through our exceptional community of experts who now number the thousands. Uh, I have the privilege at Mass Challenge of specifically supporting our early stage organization. So that includes four seed accelerators in Boston, Austin, Houston, and Rhode Island, and also a small group of corporate partners who are looking to align their innovation strategies with the startup community. And as part of that work, we look closely with the public sector, the academic sector, the investment sector, again, to help build stronger, more inclusive uh, startup and innovation ecosystems. Fantastic. Yeah. And Mass Challenge is really the household name, even if you're not terribly familiar with the startup community or the venture capital community. Uh, it, it seems like almost everybody's heard of Mass Challenge. So but if you look back, the organization is relatively new. It only started in 2009. So can you talk a little bit about how it went from, it started in Boston, right? That's where it all began. And then now it, it really is global. So uh, can you kind of tell us how, like, how they got from you know, such a local feel to a global feel? So you're right. We started in 2009 during the Great Recession. The sort of insight and the idea was that entrepreneurship uh, is a key driver, not only of solutions, but also of economic growth, of opportunity, and that we wanted to make the opportunity of entrepreneurship available to more people. We started in Boston, it's where our founders were based, and also where there was a history of entrepreneurship and innovation, technology, inventors coming together to bring ideas or research into the commercial space. Uh, we, we launched at the time uh, one of the first accelerators in the U.S. Uh, with a novel approach, and that was threefold. One is we're a nonprofit. Uh, we take no equity and we work at no cost. And again, this is because we want to work with the best, the highest potential entrepreneurs, regardless of how they want to fund their business. And while we work closely with the venture capital sector, we believe in their work. We also know it's limited. And so by not taking equity, it means we, we tend to work with a sort of more interesting and diverse array of startups along a number of dimensions. The second key aspect of our model was we work at a large scale. Uh, the accelerators I run support over 50 entrepreneurs each. Our flagship program supports 100 a year. And again, the idea was to 
democratize entrepreneurship to bring it to more individuals who wanted to grow businesses. And then the last is it's a community driven approach where, where we are powered by the communities. We work closely with the public sector uh, to bring, to make innovation a key part of local economic development. That's real. It sounds like really holistic. I mean, they really involve everything, every part of the process where I think sometimes especially in the startup world, they can be so myopic about, well, we just need funding, right? We just have to get in front of the venture capitalists. And that's, and obviously that's part of what Mass Challenge brings is that kind of that elevation profile, elevating ability to, you know, maybe put yourself in front of the right people who have the right money and, and things like that, you know, which after a bad market fit, running out of money is the biggest cause of, of startups, you know, lack of success. And so, um, what do you think the, you know, there, there's a ton of different incubation accelerators out there. What do you think the participants in Mass Challenge gain um, that you don't think they, they would get in a different accelerator? You mentioned a little bit about that really holistic experience, but um, what are some of the, the kind of key differentiators? Sure. I mean, so I'll tell you what we hear from, from our startups. The first is uh, our mentor network is, uh, has and continues to be really differentiated from other programs. It is uh, robust from a local perspective and is, is now global. And so startups who come to Mass Challenge have access to hundreds of individuals who are willing to volunteer their time, expertise, network to help entrepreneurs access you know, their own knowledge or their resources to grow their business. So that, that is a key one uh, that we continue to invest in. The second is being sector and industry agnostic at scale means entrepreneurs have the benefit of building a peer community that is vibrant, differentiated, and large that they can go on to use as a reference and a support system for the rest of their career. And we know that entrepreneurs need that peer support in addition to the, say, professional mentorship over time. And so, you know, again, the scale at which we operate makes that uh, really unique for startups. And the last is that no equity piece is really important and allows entrepreneurs access to resources at no cost, which is you know, really different than the majority of equity driven accelerators out there. Yeah, I mean, it really changes the tra trajectory of it. It's part of the reason why it's so fiercely competitive. So just a, a spoiler, you know, I signed up to be a, a mentor for Mass Challenge companies. So it's really like a broad range of people that do it. And it's, that's an interesting point you brought up about being agnostic industry-wide because I, I was just, you know, recently, a couple of weeks back, finished up the first round of evaluations for trying to judge which startups would move on to the next stage for Mass Challenge. And it was really interesting seeing how many different types of businesses there are. I mean, there really is like, um, you know, you say startup and your mind immediately goes to like, oh, well, they must have a technology or an app. And it was really great seeing all kinds of different industries covered everything from, uh, you know, environmental services to, uh, all the way up to, uh, you know, nanotechnology. It was it was really interesting to see that. That's that's nice to know because there are there are a lot of incubators and, and accelerators that focus only on technology companies, which I think is is kind of unfairly exclusive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you bring up a great point. The, the diversity that we see, uh, given our model, uh, is extraordinary. And so this year, the sort of highest concentration we saw was in digital health and enterprise technology were tied at, you know, 10 to 12% of applications. But then after that, we had a long tail of more than 
15 sectors, even at that sort of high level of description represented with several percentage points. And so, as you mentioned, we see everything from the advanced material through to the consumer product. And it gives us great insight into the types of innovation that's, that's happening in all channels, sectors, and parts of the value chain. Is that something that you notice from year to year, year, like it will change from one sector to another? And how is 2020 different? What's, do you think being in the health sector maybe had something to do with any kind of market conditions around how people approach healthcare or something like that with you know layoffs or anything? Or, or what's your sense? Not, not that you would have that insight now, but just what's your sense overall? From the applications yeah, I mean, certainly, I think what you're getting is, is during downturns, entrepreneurship goes up typically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we certainly uh, have been expecting and are excited to see that, uh, that that has stayed the case. And there was a point in time last year where we weren't sure. Entrepreneurship sort of has historically benefited from those physical collisions. So there was an open question around whether new startup formation would happen at the same rate in a world in which we're locked inside, but, uh, but we, we have seen that and that's reflected in our applications this year. To your question around sectors, this is super interesting. Over the long, over our long history, you know, 10 years or so, the big categories we see have stayed relatively stable. And, and by this, I mean, healthcare life science has always been historically 30 to 35% of our cohorts. We call it high tech is another 30%. We have then clean tech, general, social impact, right? So those big categories have remained relatively stable, although we've seen clean tech companies increasingly identify themselves as high tech. uh, So that I think is more of a terminology shift. But within those categories, we've definitely seen trends year over year, both over the long term, so you can sort of identify systematic shifts uh, in key technology trends and sort of bumps and blips in, in the radar. So I'll give you an example of that. One is we've obviously been watching AI ML uh, for a number of years now. It's called three, four, five years ago, less than 15% of the companies applying to Mass Challenge would have said that that was a core technology that they were, they were applying or sort of a market they were targeting. That's now almost 40%. Uh, of company. a huge and jump. So a huge jump, right? And yeah. that, that reflects the systematic, um, systemic sort of shift we're seeing in the technology category. Mm-hmm. Similarly, fintech and digital health within our applications have grown as those markets have grown. And so as, as those have become hot sectors uh, and become increasingly places where startups can uh, can build businesses. And as we've built concentrations, we've seen the applications rise but this year, certainly in light, we believe of COVID, there's been a jump in our digital health um, applications well above last year. And again, we see that similarly in sort of the diagnostics camp, we see that uh, very likely as uh, recognition that there's a market opportunity now, there's openness from the investor mm-hmm. and the industry camp. And so startups are attracted to opportunity and problems. So I have a sort of a personal professional interest in, in data privacy. Do you see, you know, especially given that, that a lot of PHI is, is, you know, collected in these in these health apps and, and, and fintech, you know, there, there's it's just a natural follow-on. Do you see maybe data privacy companies following behind that, or is that, you know, is, is protecting personal information just sort of one of, you know, the, the the things that these companies do in addition, sort of, to their main core competencies? 
Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, we see separate sleeve of cybersecurity companies coming through that you know may have a specific focus in fintech or health tech ap- application, for example, as their first go to market, but are you know in general uh, secure data security privacy companies. And that number has been uh, on the rise for us. It you know may be related. We have a safety and security strategy. It's you know based around defense innovation, but certainly has a key cyber component. So you know in that way, it's hard for us to tell how much of that is market driven versus sort of our sourcing. Uh, but certainly each year we're seeing an increase in startups in that category as well. About um, across countries, uh, we uh, we're definitely guilty of thinking that you know America is the the center of the universe for all things startup related. And of course, we're seeing like a lot of distributed teams now, Europe and Africa and Asia, and the teams are all over, you know, which has different implications. Uh, we, we look at it from a legal lens because we're typically thinking, okay, how does that, um, you know, how do these people contribute and, and make sure that all their legal ducks are in a row? But is it concentrated in terms of like, you know, our team sort of sticking in one geographic location? Or are you seeing like, fully distributed teams from all over and, and people really putting together a diverse team. I mean, this is great. We, we started to see this last year. So, you know, in 2020, we ran an all virtual accelerator and one of the, a lot of challenges, right? But one of the huge benefits of that was we had participation from truly across the globe hmm. uh, with individuals in London working full days and jumping into the accelerator specific program or working with their mentors in the evening without having to disrupt their lives or businesses to come to Massachusetts, for example, which historically we've strongly encouraged. And we still think there are are benefits to that in-person experience, but certainly seeing the increased uh, global participation as as we have virtual. And we see that again this year, we had over 65 countries represented in our applications. And these were applications to our US accelerators. We have accelerators that run in Israel, Switzerland, and Mexico City, which see almost exclusively international applications. And even within the US, 48 states represented, only 7% of our applications came from California. So our presence is is outside that Silicon Valley region. So in some ways, not totally surprising, but definitely highlights that talent and teams and technologies are everywhere across the globe. And it's on us to reach them and bring access to networks and funding and experience to them as opposed to asking them to come to us. So we're really excited about the level of activity that we're seeing outside of traditional hubs uh, and and expect to to see more of that as teams and even companies and talent you know, do relocate to areas that, that may be better for their personal lives and or for their businesses. I'm, I'm hoping we'll see uh, stuff spread out a bit more. You know, certainly in Boston, there's some accelerators and co-working spaces, which are kind of like spreading out into the burbs and the boroughs of Boston. That's, I think those are all good trends. Have you noticed uh, a lot of startups kind of coming in with people who are maybe still, you know, working a full-time job and then doing this as like a, like a side gig and are they able to really commit that kind of time or is that a, maybe like a frowned on or disqualifying fact for people who are applying to Mass Challenge? Because I mean, I, I suspect that like once you're in the, the Mass Challenge pipeline, you know, the, the mentorship is intense and they want to have those people's full attention, but I don't know if that's, um, you know, obviously people want to have that financial security of maybe not jumping in with both feet right into a, a position that could be unpaid for quite some time. 
uh, I'll give you sort of a couple perspectives on it. One is every year we we have a, a healthy uh, sub cohort that are either current students, so they're young entrepreneurs, they may be coming out of graduate, even undergraduate or PhD programs. And so we're balancing the role of being a founder and, and being a student. Uh, and so in, in that capacity, you know, would be full-time in both, if you would, right? So wearing uh, both hats or the worst of both worlds. And in I think increasingly we're seeing that PhD to CEO transition uh, where uh, there may be a decision to stay with a foot in academia and bring on another partner uh, on the commercialization front to balance that. You know, we, um, we think participation in the program is a key way to get extract the value. It's very hard to get the value of an accelerator program if you can't be present in some way, shape or form. With that said, while many VCs will require full-time, ironically, there's research that shows uh, from Adam Grant that you know, full-time founders actually don't equate to positive outcomes in any way, shape or form. And so we don't, we don't require founders to be, to be full-time. At a certain point in the company's trajectory, they, they likely will need to be. But where we sit at that pre-seed seed stage, many founders, you know, their primary focus is customer discovery, initial go-to-market, and if they need to balance that uh, with a full-time uh, job or a side hustle, if you would, uh, we don't exclude them from that. And we think that's particularly important as we think about uh, bringing uh, equity-driven lens to entrepreneurship. There's uh, a lot of research that shows underrepresented founders may have uh, less privilege coming into the entrepreneurship space and so may need to work, may have family obligations that preclude them from diving head long into entrepreneurship. So it's not something we require, though, again, at a certain point in the startup's trajectory, you know, founder will need to be all in. Moving to this virtual environment probably just supports that type of, uh, of entrepreneur even more because the, the FaceTime on Zoom can be, can be, you can just flick on your computer as opposed to having to meet at a coffee shop or uh, you know something else when they're focused on other things. Okay, you, you sort of mentioned an interesting thing that I did want to touch on. So, so DE&I has been a very prominent topic and I know Mass Challenge is doing a lot of things. I just wanted to see if you'd be open to, to speaking about what Mass Challenge is doing to help you know, promote diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, in their startups and, and maybe also in Mass Challenge itself. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, thanks for the opportunity. We uh, historically have been focused on making entrepreneurship more accessible to more high-impact entrepreneurs. So in that way, it's, it's baked into our DNA. With that said, uh, we have spent the last two years bringing equity more to the forefront I think we would be the first to say as a historically white-led organization, there's a lot of work that we have and will continue to do to make sure that uh, we are working alongside uh, founders of color to, in, to ensure that our program is not only accessible, but as impactful for them and feels like a home that they can come to. And, and part of that is the internal work that you're talking about. Uh, we feel huge uh, responsibility to leverage our platform, our brand, and, and our influence, you know, to the extent we have any in the ecosystem to help create more inclusive entrepreneurship. And so, you know, there are specifically three things that uh, we're really focused on. 
uh, and, and we have uh, sort of goals up on the website around them and they're committed to reporting on them as we hopefully make, make progress. So one is internally, this is around not only diverse, continuing to diversify our team and ensure that our boards also reflect the communities we serve, but investing in the internal systems and culture work that makes Mass Challenge a destination for all individuals with passion for the entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship ecosystem, regardless of what they look like or where they come from. So that work is underway and we're really lucky to be working with YW Boston and a couple other consultants to help us get it right. The second key aspect is, is around our programs and our community. So, you know, it is essential that uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion are integrated into every step of our process. So we have targets and strategies in place for how we recruit startups, how we uh, improve our selection process to make it a more equitable experience for underrepresented founders, and then also are working with a great uh, advisory group of uh, alumni and other community partners who are helping really push our programming to ensure, again, that it's uh, accessible, uh, reflects the needs of Black entrepreneurs, uh, female entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurs from the LGBTQIA community, et cetera. And then the last one is, is around systems change. And so we're, uh, we are, uh, have opened our books uh, to Forefront, which is a alumni actually and a, and a consulting organization to do a review of our process, our systems, our approach to identify where there's uh, bias or even racism in how we work and uh, advise on what we need to do differently to you know, drive uh, change over time in our own process uh, and in, in our community. And, and we're committed to sharing what we learn uh, as we go through that process, help create recommendations for others to use as well. As I was working through reviewing uh, some of the applications in the first round, I was really struck by, by kind of the, um, the wide range of where folks were in the process, which is really, really interesting because mm -hmm. like some of them were, some of them were very much just, um, it was just an idea. <laughs> they had an idea, they, they had a lot of passion about it, but it wasn't, the idea wasn't quite as fleshed out. And then others were really like, um, it almost seemed like they maybe weren't even at that seed stage. They were so established and they, they really had like a firm foothold in the market. And, and it's actually a question that has been asked of us a couple of times. We've had clients say like, hey, what do I, wh what can I do to get into mass challenge and what would make me competitive? So, you know, maybe I'll share, we, we've developed a classification system for startup stages that we use internally to measure startup growth and, and you know, do interesting analysis. Then we call it the four Ds. So discovery is that stage where you're validating your idea. Development is validating your solution. Deployment is about the business model. And then distribution is, is really that scale. Historically, you know, 10 to 15% of the companies in the cohort are at that discovery stage. So I mentioned that because if you're at the, that idea stage, you should still apply to Mass Challenge. The process is designed to help give you feedback and there is a chance that you get in, right? So uh, certainly every year we work with companies at that early stage, but the process is designed uh, to support you. The majority of startups we support are in that development stage. So that is that, and I can share a little bit more about what the milestones are uh, that we're tracking for each of those. And then uh, again, sort of a small uh, portion on the end are in deployment. Typically, we are not supporting what we would see as distribution, which is post Series A, uh, most specifically. 
So as, as we think about what are the milestones that you could articulate that either you have hit or you're working towards to demonstrate uh, initial traction, good insight, a realistic path to success. In that discovery phase, uh, it's about very uh, a detailed assessment of like the customer problem. So often entrepreneurs have great ideas and or maybe technology led, so have great solutions and are sort of looking around for the customer problem. So what, what we recommend if you're in that idea stage is to be able to work towards being able to really articulate what is the customer pain point and why does it exist? Then how your solution maps to it and what have you heard from customers so far that indicate your solution may be a good fit, even if you're in a pre-economic Phase. And so, you know, startups who are applying to Mass Challenge uh, ideally can lay at least that out in good detail. And then again, you know, recommendations around clear writing, not too much jargon that makes it hard to understand what, uh, what it is, especially if we have generalist reviewers. And then also sort of what's your hypothesis or plan to test uh, the, the go-to-market phase to begin to test with customers. For startups who have done that, you know, robust customer discovery and are, are beginning to validate the solution actively with customers, the, you know, the key milestones we're looking for are you fielded an MVP, you've put IP protection in place if it's relevant, you've identified a customer persona, and that's sort of what the takeaway is from that first stage. You've identified a customer persona, and you've begun to identify who those potential first customers could be. Uh, again, this is sort of an enterprise focus, or if you're in the B2C stage uh, or B2C area, uh, you're working with your uh, most animated potential customers, the, the true believers to get immediate feedback. And ideally you're working towards, you know, one to three pilots uh, that, are, that are paid. Sort of the, the end result we're looking for is, is that initial revenue uh, and some indication that you you have or are closing in on that initial product market fit before beginning to think about uh, the sort of full business model uh, relationship between marketing, pricing, uh, post-sale management, uh, et cetera. Those are really great concrete things that I, I just, I honestly did not know. And I probably should have, because I, as I was working through the application, that was one of the first questions, right? Is like how, what, like identify your customer. And I was like, oh, what an interesting first question to ask. And I, I uh, should have put that together, but it's, um, it's funny because it's not something that we evaluate as a law firm. We don't, we don't, um, we don't uh, judge folks uh, based on their business model. If, if they think they have a legal need and we identify a legal need, then help with, a, with that. But we don't really look at it in terms of like long-term viability. And, and we don't say, hey, you know, are you guys pre-revenue? Have you, have you gotten a, you know, or how are you on your MVP and stuff like that? We'll just try to help them protect that. And, and so it's, it's interesting uh, seeing it from that other perspective and really, really great concrete points. So um, I, I, think we've, I think we've covered a lot of the easy questions. And now for the tough one, okay. what do you like most about being involved with Mass Challenge? What do you like about your job? What, what brings you in every day? Oh, you're so right that that's the hard one. Uh, so I got to start with team. I mean, I uh, have the benefit of, you know, 20 direct folks on the early stage team who wake up every day thinking about how can we support early stage startups 
uh, support the communities in which we operate and, uh, and also our partner institutions. And they're fun, they're creative, uh, they're energetic. Uh, many of them are very funny. Uh, and most importantly, they're really passionate about, about the mission, which again, we, you know, it's, it's our, our mission is to equip bold entrepreneurs to disrupt the status quo. And it's our way of trying to make the world a better place. And it's just a total privilege to work alongside uh, the other Mass Challenge members in pursuit of that mission. The second one for me is uh, seeing the stuff that's coming down the pipe, the types of innovations that individuals can conceptualize and are willing to take extraordinary risk to pursue and bring, uh, bring to life uh, is awesome. And it's exciting and it's interesting and it keeps me learning every day. I mean, I can't tell you the amount uh, of time that I spend trying to catch up on, on what our entrepreneurs are up to and wishing I'd done computer science instead of liberal arts so that I could better understand it. Uh, but you know, it's just awesome. And again, as, as we think about the number of challenges facing our, our world today, uh, entrepreneurs see those challenges as opportunities. And so, you know, the last piece is it's inspiring at a time, you know, particularly last year, at a time in which the, the world seemed bleak on so many dimensions. Uh, we had locally, I'd say we had two startups, Moderna and Ginkgo team up to solve the number one problem which was how do we get people vaccinated and tested at rapid speed, throw CIC health in there too. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And you realize that these companies had been working in some cases for decades on this problem and then were, were ready to go when we needed it the most. So that last piece is it's just a privilege to feel inspired every day in your job. Perfect answer. That's a, that's exactly how we feel. Um, we just, you know, we go to law school, not because we're like filled with creativity, but you know, because we're, we're just inclined that way. And, uh, but, but I love the work that we do because for the same reasons we work with, um, with really talented uh, startup founders and they're, they're so, they're so enthusiastic. It's, it's hard not to get enthusiastic for them. You know, we have to sort of draw that line of like, well, we're here to help you with legal stuff and we can't like, you know, we can't cheer you on in a certain direction, but um, it, it's really inspiring to see because these are these are folks who who put a huge amount on the line. You know, they're they're maybe putting putting uh, families on hold or putting you know income on hold, putting retirement on hold, and they're really just taking such a huge gamble. So it's great. It's it's just they're just great people to be around. You know, at the end yeah. of the day, what uh, what should people take? Uh, what kind of steps should they take to uh, get in touch if they want to know more about it? Uh, if they want to know more about Mass Challenge, can can they reach out to you? Uh, you know, what's the process look like? Always happy to hear from people. My email, I'm happy to give my email. It's kate at masschallenge.org. Uh, or you can email our organization directly. Uh, definitely reach out. We're, we're always excited to hear from entrepreneurs. And we're also always looking for individuals who believe they have something to give to the entrepreneurial ecosystem and want to mentor, advise, or just make their network available. And, and as I mentioned, our model is, is built on now thousands of awesome volunteers who bring their expertise to the table uh, in support of the mission. So if, if you are a startup and, and want to learn more about Mass Challenge, if you're an expert, if you're inspired by our mission and want to support us, uh, please do reach out. Fantastic. Kate Bruma, I wish we could talk for hours on this, but I know this is an especially busy season for you and for us. Uh, so we've got to wrap it up here, but thanks so much. This is a ton of really great insight today uh, chatting with you and uh, best of luck. Thank you so much. We'll need it.
That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to get the latest podcasts from the Peak Pod. You can find us on LinkedIn and Instagram and on the web at peakcouncil.com. That's P-E-A-K-C-O-U-N-S-E-L.com.